Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Good to be back together again after the hustle, the bustle, the Christmas, the presents, the wrapping, the shopping, the traveling, the sleeping in, not me, you guys maybe. All of that comes together and now we sit on the brink of 2020. 2020. Can you believe it's been 20 years since we were afraid the whole earth was going to blow up? If you didn't we're alive during that time and aren't familiar with what was happening back in 1999. There was this great fear that all of our computers were going to just morph into this big bomb and blow up. And like all of the planes were going to fall out of the sky all because they didn't code it correctly for 1999. And going to the 2000 would be a flip to go to the 00s. 200 versus the 19. And so there's this great fear that happened. We sat there trembling and nothing happened. That was 20 years ago. It's unbelievable how fast time goes sometimes. And every year when we start getting into this new year, we start to talk about what does it look like for me to have a New Year's resolution? Those wonderful things that we write on a piece of paper and we follow them for exactly 3.2 weeks. We all go to the gym, right? We're going to lose some weight this year. And as someone who's a bit of a gym rat in my days, I'd go in and I January is my most annoying time of the year because my machines are always full because all these people with their brand new workout clothes they got for Christmas, we could spot you like you are a big, huge light glowing in the gym. Now, if you do it, hey, go get them. That's good. But I'm just saying they come in. And it was always interesting to see who lasted into March, who lasted further than those first couple of months. Because once the pain starts setting in, you're like, ah, I think I'm... I'd rather stay home and drink coffee. But there's other things that we have resolutions for. We think about, I'm going to be better financially this year. I'm going to make some good investments. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to do new things with my finances. We talk about relationships. I want to be healthier with my relationships. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to learn to say the word no. Resolutions. We all have them. We try to have them. But over time, you start to give up on those resolutions. Like, eh, been there, done that. It's just a new year. It's just a flipping of a page. I'm just going to continue on my life the way that it is. Well, I'm a resolution guy. I like to set goals for myself in the new year. And 2020 is no different. But really, when I was thinking about this time of new year and new you, I thought of a very specific time in my life, which was the year 2014. I was facing coming up in one of the scariest things in human existence, the age of 40. I'm looking at the age of 40, I'm staring at this thing dead in the face coming up this next year, and I'm like, I need to do something big. So I started on a journey of running. I started running, and in the 2014, I said, I want to do something super crazy, like there's no way I could beat this, I'm going to run a half marathon. A half marathon is 13.1 miles. So I started training all summer, so all I did is run, run, run all the time. And I got to September for this big race in 2014, and I ran it, and I almost died. I kid you not, when I was done with this thing, there was no feeling like I had this in my life. Like, I, everything was gone. I was exhausted. and never doing that again, ever in my life. 
So then the new year came up in 2015, and I thought, ah, I should have a New Year's resolution. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run a full marathon. Now, that's 26.2 miles, and never take off the point two because that's the worst part of it. So I'm going to run a marathon, 26.2 miles. I wanted to push myself because that was the year I was looking at the age of 40. So I started my training resolution, my work. And one of the things that kept me motivated, if you've, it's not as popular now, but you remember those stickers on people's cars? You see the 13.1, you know? I saw the people at the 26.2. Like, I just want that sticker, man. I want to drive down the street. People think that guy's amazing or that guy's an idiot. There's no in-between, right? <laughs> so I had my 13.1 sticker, and I wanted my 26.2. Then all my friends were like, oh, I've got the 0.0. I only run if being chased. That was their big joke for me. So those stickers were part of my, my resolution. I wanted to earn it. So I went on a journey of running. I could barely run when I first started with a half marathon, and I started working harder. I could run 13.1, but there's something different about a marathon. I'm going to say something that you're probably like, this is crazy. 13.1 miles is easy. It's easy compared to 26.2. Something happens to your body when you start going past this threshold. So I'm running, and I start pushing 16, 17, 18 miles, and your brain is telling you, what are you doing? I mean, look, if you just met, you don't know me, hi, I'm Jason. I'm going to tell you something about my body now. Hopefully it's not weird. I'm not built like a runner. I'm built like a linebacker. I have thighs the size of tree trunks. I have a bone structure the size of the Hulk. I'm not skinny, tall, elite Kenyan who can run a five-minute mile. <laughs> I'm plodding along like this big grimace down the street. Just down. I'm not made for this. And so people are like, you got to stop running, man. What are you doing? There's no way you can finish it. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your knees. Fallacy, by the way. But that just made it all the more. Like, I needed to accomplish this. So I worked, and I worked, and I worked. But I wasn't very fast. There's a finish time. You have to finish in a certain amount of time, and each race is different. In this race, I had to finish in six and a half hours. I just want you to think about this for a second. Running for six and a half hours. Depending on what type of movies you watch, that's three movies. Depending on what you do for your free time, that's a lot of anything. Six and a half hours of anything just gets old. Imagine running. So I had the goal of finishing in faster than six and a half. And I heard this statement that was really important to me. He said, 26.2 miles is the same distance if you do it in two hours or you do it in six hours. You are a marathoner. And that one statement motivated me. I said, I am going to accomplish something that only 0.5 of our population is ever going to do. Going to finish 26.2 miles. Now, in this, there are more hardships than you can ever imagine. I could tell you story upon story upon story. The things I had to sacrifice, the Saturdays I'd have to sacrifice, the Saturdays my family would have to sacrifice, because when you go out and run 20 miles, you don't have a lot of energy in the tank to cut the grass. You are just tanked. And so there was a huge sacrifice for me to do this, but I set a goal. Nothing was going to stop me. Absolutely nothing. And when we run, and we go through this process of running, you get to that 26.2, there's no feeling like it in the world. Now, for me, in my race, I had a bit of an issue. When I got to about mile 18, I cramped, fully cramped. 
both of my calves were in full cramp. And when I say cramp, I'm talking about you are in that intense, you wake up in the middle of the night with your toes pointed pain. If you ever had that before, that pain is what I felt after running 18 miles. And so I sat on the curb wailing, and then, you know, people come over to check on you. and like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, I'm cramping, okay. You know, they're bringing me water and stuff. And like, do you want to quit? I'm like, not quitting. Not quitting. Got to get my sticker, man. And so I didn't quit. And a cop came over by me. He's like, sir, are you okay? I'm like, I'm cramping. And he laughed at me. He's like, dude, I've never seen anyone finish after what you've got. Thanks for the encouragement, sir. <laughs> There's something that has to pursue us to keep going through hardships. There has to be something that drives us when it doesn't make sense. There has to be something there that says, no matter what, I'm not going to stop. I will give everything I have. I will give my entire soul, my life into this thing. And running and our spiritual life actually has some very, very cool parallels. And Paul talks about it in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. So we're going to be working there this morning. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. If you need a Bible, there's some on the end rows. Feel free to grab one of those or you have your Bible apps. Feel free to use those as well. This is a very encouraging verse because Paul is going to share with us, I want to go for something, but understand I haven't got it all together yet. Philippians 3 verses 12 through 14 says this, not that I've already obtained this. In the previous verses, Paul is talking about how he wants to be more like Christ, how he wants to be fully dependent on Jesus. He wants to push all of his chips in, and he's like, let me start by saying, I haven't done this yet. This is my goal. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take of that of which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul repeats the this, this statement, press on, twice in this passage. So he's making a statement. He is telling us something. When you repeat something, it says, pay attention. It's, I press on. The only time you have to press on through something is when it's terrible or hard or difficult. When things are easy, we flow with it. Funny thing about running is that some of the most difficult miles in a marathon are your first three. Your first three miles, you have to get your mind and body ready for what's going to happen. And you start plodding along, and yes, you're full of energy, but you have nervous energy, and your legs feel terrible, and you don't want to go too fast, you don't want to go too slow, you got to start pacing things out. There's a hundred different things going on in the mind of someone who's running long distance. I didn't know any of this, because I was new to it. And the first couple of miles are hard. And then you get into this rhythm, this cadence, this rhythm, and this like, dude, this is the best thing in the world. I love this. Why didn't I run this when I was younger? Man, I could be so much faster. Hey, thanks for the science. Thanks for the high five. You're super happy and jovial. And then you hit that place when you start running out of energy. They call it the wall. And the wall is this place anywhere between 18 to 20-some miles where you just want to stop. And I've hit the wall. And it's not just a physical wall. It's a mental wall. Running is mostly mental. Because while you're running, your mind is saying shut down because it's trying to keep you alive. But your body is wearing out. Your mind is saying stop, stop, stop. But you have a lot more in the tank than what you have. They say approximately you have three quarters of the ability still inside of you when your mind tells you to stop. And when you hit that wall, you have to make a decision. 
either I'm going to stop right now or I'm going to just keep plodding forward. Something has to be the reason why I keep pushing forward. Something has to drive me to go beyond this pain, this anguish, which my wife lovingly says, I don't understand why anybody would pay to run and be miserable. I don't understand it either. You get a really cool medal at the end, I guess. But for 26.2 miles, there's this time in which you just want to stop, and you have to decide. And I pressed on towards the goal. You keep the goal in front of you. And that's what Paul is saying to us. But the question is, what is his goal? What is Paul pressing on to? What is something that's driving him so hard that he would say, through all things I press on? For him, this is about life and what God and Christ has done for him on the cross. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who would live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We can't earn salvation. You can't earn it. If, if you believe that you can be religious enough, church enough, sing enough, do enough good things to earn your way to heaven, you're not understanding the gospel. The gospel of Christ is that he did all of the work for us, he did everything. He laid down this simple plan for us. Follow me. Follow me. Can't earn it. And that's the word we call grace. And so you can't earn your way in. You can't do that. But there's something that matters for eternity. Because our lives no longer don't matter. They actually matter more. Meaning this. You can't earn your way into heaven. Grace is free. But at the same time, there's this beautiful thing that Jesus says, what you're doing now matters for eternity. Think of the choices, the relationships, the things that we do. Those all matter for eternity. The fact that we're sitting here this morning matters for eternity. The relationships you have at your work matter for eternity. Your neighbors matter for eternity. Everything matters. And so we press on with the goal of becoming more like our Savior. When we lose sight of that, we lose sight of the reason of why we press on. Let me make this a little clearer. As believers, we have a purpose in life, and that's to make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. If you've been to Mosaic for a while, you've heard it over and over and over again. We exist for two reasons. We reach lost, broken, hurting people. We make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. This church isn't just about us sitting in this room. This is for generations to come. I dream of what this looks like when we hand this over to Generation Z, which is the youngest kids right now, Gen Z, and say, we did all this for you. We set a base work for you. We made you a disciple of Christ to love and live and be like Jesus and love and live the gospel. Now you go and make disciples and make disciples and make disciples. We press on towards the goal. When you don't have that goal in sight, you're going to quit. You're going to bonk. You're going to stop. Because when things get really, 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 really hard in your life, do you blame God or do you turn to God? When things are not going the way that you want, and maybe that really hard thing just happened in your life, do you fall to your knees or do you shake your fist at the Savior? That's how you know what your goal is. Because in the darkest, hardest moments of life, Jesus says, come to me, follow me, be like me. And so as we fall to our knees and say, Savior, help me, he is the one who's right there. But it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. I'm not pretending 
that this is easy. Because in my life, there are times when I press on towards the goal. I'm like, Jesus, we got this. All I need is you. We're in. Booyah. And there's days I'm like, God, thanks for forgetting all about me. Thanks for leaving me on the wayside. Where are you right now? I feel alone, and I shake my fist. I lose sight of the goal, too. We all do, right? I mean, sometimes we're doing great. Sometimes we lose sight of the goal. But when we have the goal in mind, when you are just obsessed with the calling that Christ has for you, nothing else in life matters. And that's what Paul is saying. I want to be so enamored, so full of the gospel, so just in the life of my life given to Christ that no matter what happens, I keep pressing forward towards being like him and doing what he's called me to do. That's really hard. 26.2 miles is a joke compared to what Paul's asking us to do because our lives are affected. And all of us are in different spots in our journey of our life. All of us are in different spots in our spiritual walk. But what does it look like for you in 2020 to take a step forward? One of the most encouraging things I've also heard about running is that every marathon begins with one step. I remember that when I came to the starting line. And if you've ever seen these races, they're big, huge races, and there's big corrals of people, thousands of people, and they put you like fastest to slowest. Now it was in the middle-ish, back-ish. And you kind of wait. You know, you know, the gun goes off. Everyone's, ah, yeah, I know. And you go, and everyone's kind of plodding forward. You're kind of walking, and you're all antsy because you're all juiced up and ready to go. I remember looking down and seeing the, the starting line, and when I took my first step, over the starting line, knowing that's going to be five hours later when I'll go back over a line again. But that first step, I thought, I am a marathoner. And from that step to all the thousands and thousands of steps that went on, I had to keep the goal in mind. In our spiritual lives, we have to keep the goal in mind. If our goal, if our purpose is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died for us, he came again, he rose, he is our king. If our goal is not the gospel, we're going to be floundering all over the place. If our life is not driven towards the greatness of the gospel, I want to be more like him. I want to show people who he is. I want the world to know who this Jesus is. You're going to be all over the place. And if you don't know who he is, you don't know what you're going towards. So this morning I've got a couple of key areas for you, I thought, you know, let me break this down to help you run your first marathon. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. I don't encourage it. (laughs) Well, I do, but I don't. But what does it mean to take those goals? What does it mean to step forward in 2020? What does it mean, and how do I do what Paul's asking us to do, which is pressing on towards the goal? There's three things I came up with. First of all, you need to define your goal. We talked a little bit about this morning, about defining the goal When I passed the finish line, I was at the the end of the pack. There weren't that many people left. Most of the party was done. Most people had gone home. Just my family and a couple of stragglers still left behind. When I passed that, I thought, this was the greatest thing I've ever done in my life, and I will never do this again ever in my life. I've run four marathons with a goal of another one. Because there's something inside of you, and I'm not a woman, and I don't don't mean to disrespect this at all, but this is the best analogy I can think of. Why do women keep having kids? They forget. Like, something happens, like, I just forget. 
and let's have another baby at some point. Sounds like a good idea. That's me in marathons. Like, there's, I, it was terrible. I was miserable. I trained for nine months. I did the race. I'm never doing this again. Hey, I should sign up for another one. <laughs> define your goal. When you have your goal defined, you are willing to sacrifice for that goal. Are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of living a purposeful life for the gospel? What if you gave up all of your comfort, all of your luxuries? What if you gave up things that are holding you back, things you know and you know they're not good? It's garbage in your life, but you really like it. It's a vice, it's an addiction, whatever it is. But you gave that up for the cause of Christ. And you're like, well, I really don't know if it's worth it, right? Like, is it really worth it? Like, do I, do I really have to sacrifice myself to be like Jesus? And the answer is yes. It cost Christ everything. Everything. It cost him everything. And he asks us to do the same thing. And so when you are looking at your goal, in your life goal, what is it in your spiritual life? Is your goal, your purpose? Like, what is it that's driving you to say, I'm willing to love when I should hate? What's telling you to forgive when you want to take revenge? What's telling you to be generous when you want to just take care of yourself and do you? What causes you to be patient instead of being instantly angry? What, where does it come from? Because when I'm not in my Jesus moment, I'm doing the wrong things. When I'm not focused on my goal, my rage starts to bubble from inside. I know. I get mad too. Could you imagine that? So smiley and I talk nice, but I get mad. It comes out from this dark place. Maybe you guys don't struggle with it, but I know some of you do. It bubbles like a furnace inside of you. And sometimes it spews out this hot lava and burns everyone in front of you. But what keeps that lava inside? My goal. I don't want to hurt people. I want to be like my Savior. The spiritual life thing, this doesn't just transform eternity. It transforms now. Think of if Mosaic Church, just our church in Slinger, Wisconsin, moved into Washington County, southeast Wisconsin, all of Wisconsin, all of the United States, and the entire world. You had a group of people that were so impassioned with the gospel, they give their entire life as a living sacrifice every single day for the sake of the gospel. Every single day, I will love instead of hate. I will be patient instead of angry. All these things because of the goal. We will change the world. You'll change the world. Because every time in our social media, on news, you see somebody who acts even remotely like the, pers the person of Christ, the whole world stops and says, wow, that is so different. That person forgave. That person loved. That person was kind. That person was generous. This is what Jesus is calling us to. So what is your goal? What goal do you have in your life, in 2020, in your spiritual life? One of the most difficult Yet honoring things I do as a pastor is funerals. Funerals are hard. They're always hard. They're never fun. Even when people, the family's really well connected, it's just a hard time. And one of those solemn moments for me is when someone who has lived their life and didn't make a, a difference. And I've done funerals of people who don't follow Christ. And I listen to the stories that the family shares. And I just sit there listening, and they're laughing. Oh, remember when Dad did this? And they're telling these horrible stories of, like, 
oh, man, I hope no one tells stories about like that me. It's, it's hard. It's sad. And they have no hope. And they say things like, well, we know dad's an angel now floating on the clouds, playing the harp. Now he's with his dog, Fido, that died when he was a kid. Very purposeless. Very just kind of making stuff up. Then you see people who live their life for the cause of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something about those funerals. They look completely different. Yes, there's sadness, but there's joy. Yes, there, is tear, there are tears, but there's celebration. And the stories that te- they tell is about, I remember when my mom, when she was blank years old, and she sold blank to give to blank because she wanted to make a difference. And I saw my mom bring in all these hurting people and care for each one. And we were the most generous house in the neighborhood. And all the kids came to our house. And we always had pizzas. And they start telling all these stories. And people sit up there weeping, telling stories because these people have changed the lives of the people talking at their funeral. My life has changed because of this person. And that person now is in the presence of Jesus Christ, their Savior. Their goal, their life had a purpose. What is your goal? If you do not have one, you are not going to drive towards something. Secondly, training matters. For those of you who have ever gone into the exercise world, the running world, when that alarm goes off, it's your worst enemy. The alarm goes off, and your body is so cozy, especially when it's kind of cold outside and you're all snuggled in, and your alarm goes off to get up and to go make yourself miserable. And so you sit here in this cozy little bed, and your alarm goes off. And if you're like me, you hit the snooze at least one time, right? Because I'm thinking, do I want to get up? Do I want to get up? I don't want to get up. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get, oh, it's so nice here. Coffee sounds awesome right now. I just have a cup of coffee, and then maybe I would run later on. But you get into a rhythm, and training is rhythm. 90% of training is mental. So as my alarm goes off, I have things on my phone to remind me. So as my alarm goes off, I hit my phone. It goes back to my my screen. It says, get up and run on my screen. Get up and run. I look at that, and now I have to say, I don't want to. I don't want to get up. I have to look at it and say, no. You need to train. Because if I go into anything without training, you are going to get smoked. Now, I've been in races, and I've seen people who just thought they were going to jump in and run. Now, not to name names or ages or anything, but they're typically younger people. They think, I'm good, I'm fit, and I see them. And they're the ones who take off as fast as they can. They're, they're gone. One of the games of running, you may or may not know. I'm telling you all the stories. If you don't like running, this is a bad sermon for you. I'm going to tell you running stories. <laughs> One of the games of running is something we call kill-death ratio, KDRs. Those who play online gaming and play first-person shooters, KDRs, how many people do you take out, how many times get taken out? And so when you're running, kills are the number of people I pass. So I'm looking at people, and I try to find someone to pass that person. Just a mental game you play with yourself to keep yourself going. So I'm like, boom, got one. Got one, boom, got one. And then people pass you, ah, ah. So it motivates you to keep running. And the idea is that you're running within your basic tempo or pack of people, and so the people that you pass, you get that shot, and so you want more kills than deaths. I typically am somewhere around 50-50. I'm not that good. So when I'm in there and I have this goal and I'm training and I'm thinking this kill-death ratio, 
I have my goal in mind. It keeps me motivated. There's those people who haven't trained. And I'm like, bing, bing, bing. They take off as fast as they can. You know, they, they, they're just wearing like jeans and like, you know, a, a button down shirt, whatever. I'm not serious. But they take off and I say, that person's not going to make it at that speed. They haven't trained. They don't know. And sure enough, here's this person with their hands on their knees bent over at the side of the road, like, and I just keep going. I don't do that motion. Inside I do. <laughs> Training matters. The type of food and fuel and water and pacing and tempo and everything, there's so much involved with long-distance running, you would never believe it. You wouldn't believe it. You think, all oh, these people are just running. It is so much preparation. I had no idea until I started doing this stuff. And spiritual life is exactly the same. If you are not training, if you are not preparing, you're going to be like the guy who takes off fast and then is dead on the side of the road. Training matters. Training is when hard stuff happens in your life. If you aren't prepared for that moment, you're going to get smoked. If you haven't processed and thought through, what does it look like if I lost everything? Would I turn against God or for God? What if the person I love, and she said she loved me, but, he, but she left me? Does your whole life crumble? What about when you have relationships with family, and that son or that daughter no longer calls you, and there's this estranged relationship? What happens then? Do you still say, God, where are you? How could you hate me? Or does it drive you to your knees to pray? When you are training, training gets us to that point of like when the hardships come, when I want to give up, I'm ready. Part of training is being here right now. So well done. Training is knowing who God is. Training is being involved in a community of faith like this because together, we're all in this together. And the beautiful thing, my most favorite thing about running of all things is the community of people that I'm in. All these people, thousands of people all sitting here because they too are crazy like me. And the conversations with absolute strangers are amazing. And how strangers help strangers is amazing. We're in this together. There was a time when I was running and I was at mile 20 and I was just breaking down and this beautiful senior citizen came up by me and I had sat down on the side of the road. I was cramping, I was hurting, I was bending. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. He comes up to me, he stops. He says, get up, you can do it. I'm like, you don't know me. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, I don't know. He's like, you can do it. Come with me. So he takes my hand and he picks me up and we start running. He goes, turn around, run backwards. I'm like, what? He goes, give your, you got to give your quad some time, run backwards. So I started pacing backwards with him and he's doing it with me and he's talking to me because he knew mentally I was shot. So he starts talking. He's like, so how long have you been running? Look at my first marathon. He's like, oh, yeah, I've done hundreds. I'm like, oh, my word. And he starts giving me all this wisdom and knowledge. Before I know it, we've gone two more miles just talking. He said, follow me. And so I started to get going. I had my pace back, and we're moving. He goes, are you good? I got this. He goes, I will see you at the finish line. He took time off of his race to stop for a guy he never met before to grab his hand to encourage him to finish. He says, I will see you at the finish line, and he was there. You did it. Go get your sticker, man. <laughs> Our community of faith is like this, friends. If you think you're going to do this alone, if you think you're going to train alone, you're not going to make it. You need people to pick you up because life is hard. Life is hard. 
And we're in this together, doing this together as a community of faith, as family, so that when one falls, we all pick you up. That is church. We as Mosaic, you've heard it, are for lost, broken, hurting people. So guess what that means? There's going to be a lot of people on the side of the road hurting. And it's our job to help pick each other up because at some time, all of us are going to need it. At some time, some point, we need each other to pick each other up. Training matters. I love this Proverbs verse, Proverbs 4.23. It says this, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. That's training. Do you know that the majority of your thoughts are negative in a day that Scott Willie, who's a sports psychologist, says we have 50,000 thoughts in a day and that 70 to 80% are negative. 50,000 thoughts in a day and 70 to 80% of those are negative about yourself, about others. Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. What if 2020 said, I'm going to shape my thoughts on the things of Scripture and start to put them into my heart, not to be super biblically smart and be able to raffle off different ideas at Bible trivias, but so that it infuses me and so that when my enemy comes before me, I pray for them instead of going after them because that is what God says. Finally, stay focused on the goal. It is so easy to lose sight of the goal. It's so easy to get thrown off to the side. It's so easy to allow adversity to take you out. There has to be something that drives you. So my point is this. If you truthfully love Jesus Christ, if you truthfully say that I believe that there actually is an eternity with him, that everything matters, then your life should reflect it. If you are new to faith, if you don't have a faith walk with Jesus, you're just exploring this, and this is like super intense, you're like, whoa, dude, let me say this to you. What is your purpose then? And if Jesus really is who he says that he was, does he have a purpose for you? Now, I can say everything I want from here and say, I believe, I know, I've lived through things. These are all my experiences. Maybe your experiences haven't put you there. But if you're exploring a life with Christ and say, I'm just not sure yet, then I ask the question, then what is your goal? What does all of it mean at the end of the race? Because my great friend has said it best, ain't nobody getting off this rock alive. Our life has to mean something. There's a goal, and Christ makes it clear. I encourage each of you, stay focused. Focus on goals. Fight. Fight against addictions. Fight for your marriage. Fight to be joyful. Fight for integrity. Fight to forgive. Fight, fight, fight. Do not give up. Do not lose sight of the goal. Push forward with everything that you have. Don't stop. Press on. Do not grow weary and quit. Keep fighting. My first race was full of cramping, exhaustion, pain, it was highs and lows. It was emotional. And I wept like a baby. It was something that was a goal that I had put out for. And I, for one year, I'd trained to. I'd given everything I had. I put everything on the line that I could as Jason. I didn't win. But I crossed the finish line. At the end, they put the medal around your neck. And this medal 
you wear for exactly five minutes, and then it hangs in your room. But I put that medal around the neck, and it didn't say winner. It said finisher. You did it. Can you imagine that at the end of our lives, we have finisher, well done. 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. This is Paul again. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At the end of our lives, you're going to find out how much everything mattered. And I'm animated and excited and encouraging, but more than anything, all of this is for you to hear one thing. Don't let 2020 be like last year. Press on towards the goal. Keep fighting the good fight, because at the end, let Jesus put that medal around your neck. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.